Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to Episode 75 of Compliance Into the Weeds, a podcast where, with my good friend and colleague, Matt Kelly, founder and editor of Radical Compliance, we take a deep dive, literally going into the weeds to explore a compliance or compliance-related topic. We dedicate this episode to the SEC enforcement action against Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos. We break it down from not only a philosophical perspective of did she uh, obtain a significant enough penalty, but also what does this mean for compliance? What does it mean for SEC enforcement of private companies going forward? Because remember, Theranos uh, is a private company and always has been. It's a fascinating exploration of the power of the SEC, the scope of the penalties available to it, and of course, the massive fraud perpetrated by Elizabeth Holmes on the investor community. Compliance Into the Weeds is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back again for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds with my good friend and colleague, Matt Kelly. This is the podcast where we take a deep dive, uh, literally going into the weeds to explore a compliance or compliance-related topic. And today, we're going to do that with uh, the company Theranos, Elizabeth Holmes, and the recent SEC enforcement action against her. So, Matt, with that uh, introduction, welcome. Hello, Tom. Good to be here, as always. So, Matt, first of all, congratulations for being uh, one of the top 10 um, in the Reader's Poll of J.D. Supra. Uh, both you and I got that honor, as as did Mike Volkoff as well. Uh, uh, great to see your smile and face on the list. Well, thank you very much, Tom, and congratulations to you, too. So, uh, Matt, we had an extraordinarily uh, interesting, I thought, SEC civil enforcement action last week against Elizabeth Holmes, the founder of the uh, tech company uh, Theranos, which had allegedly developed literally revolutionary technology for blood testing. The uh, technology was that with a pinprick, there were some 200 tests that uh, diagnostic tests that the company would be able to run uh, with a proprietary system uh, at a location as diverse as a pharmaceutical store, uh, pharmacy, or even a grocery store. It, it was promised to literally disrupt the blood testing industry and much of the uh, medical industry as well. Uh, it turned out that that was uh, at best wishful thinking and at worst uh, much more fraudulent conduct. Ms. Holmes uh, was uh, in a uh, SEC complaint, which she neither admitted nor denied, the allegations set forth, uh, was a, charged with engaging in a massive multi-year fraud. She agreed to a penalty of $500,000. She gave back some 18 million shares of stock and was banned from public being uh, employed in a public company as an officer director for 10 years. So I thought this was a pretty uh, uh, high-level penalty uh, but many people questioned uh, even if it was enough. So I guess kind of uh, uh, on the first pass or first question, did you think the penalty really fit the crime? Well, I think if there was anything I would have liked to see the SEC do, particularly with Elizabeth Holmes personally, I would have liked to see that she had to admit guilt here. Um, it looks from the outside there's an awful lot on the outside of to what went wrong at Theranos and all of the deceptions and fraud there. It looks on the outside like there was a lot of misconduct. Um, so why was there no admission of guilt? Uh, I tend to think that the person responsible here really is Elizabeth Holmes and Elizabeth Holmes uh, 
primarily and possibly even only. I'm not sure. I, I know that there are other officials who uh, were disciplined by the SEC, too. But that unto itself, that's a question in my mind. It's fair. Some people have asked about why didn't she get fined a larger amount of money or why would the company get fined a larger amount of money? I think it is um, fair to ask if the company actually has any money to pay. Um you know, I wouldn't be surprised if either she or the company are flirting with bankruptcy. And I don't know that Theranos is going to be much longer for this world. But um, I do like that she's barred from working in any public companies. I'm pretty sure that the bad press is going to ban her from a lot of other private organizations as well, because she is going to be the poster child for bad governance and for fraud for the ages. She's going to be right up there with Enron and WorldCom and business case studies uh, until the cows come home about how she got the company into this mess. So the, um, uh, the other thing that uh, I thought was uh, really interesting was <laughs> if you recall the um, at least public statements of both Holmes and Theranos, they really uh, were, uh, fight, fight, fight. They were not going to agree to anything. They had at one point uh, David Boy's law firm, who later withdrew from the representation, leading to this uh, settlement that I thought was a complete capitulation, even if she didn't uh, plead guilty. The, um, the, the other interesting point, Matt, was that this was an SEC enforcement action. And mm -hmm. at the time of uh, up until today, uh, Theranos has never been a public company. So it really opened my eyes that, uh, and Kevin LaCroix in his most excellent DNO diary article today pointed out that the SEC can bring actions against private companies. And I had wondered about that uh, in terms of the levels of fundings that these companies get, and uh, with, at least with Theranos, the fraud that was involved. So I wondered if the SEC was sending a uh, pretty strong and even direct message to companies that if you're going to go out for A, B, C, and D rounds of funding, um, uh, you still have to play by the general rules of U.S. public companies. Any thoughts on that? Well, yeah, um, I think that they probably are sending that message. I do think it, what Theranos did, I mean, clearly it's rare to see this level of fraud and misconduct, period. But um, what is interesting is that the SEC can oversee private companies if they are running scams on investors well how come we don't see it for i think two reasons um number one theranos was raising a lot a lot of venture capital or not even venture capital investment capital um i think 700 million dollars or so is what it raised and it was raising it through false means um it is worth noting that what theranos did not do was raise money from established venture capital firms who quickly sniffed out that this was not something that seemed legit, and they took a pass. So Theranos was really fleecing these deep-pocketed investors who, frankly, I think were kind of dazzled by a very young, very attractive, personable CEO. Um, and so these guys opened the checkbooks for her. And yes, guys opening checkbooks for her. I think that was part of her charm and how she got the money, large amounts of money and severe fraud. The SEC can't ignore that. It is, however, worth noting that since the Jobs Act of 2012 and with other legislation that is floating around in Congress, what they do want to try and do is make it easier 
for small companies to raise money without the whole rigmarole of an IPO or the very different rigmarole, the venture capital process. Um, and there's a lot of rigor in those rigmaroles. So there are these going to be, I think, new classes of companies that are kind of floating around, raising money in the private markets, and they're playing a little fast and loose with what they're promising to investors. That sort of thing we might see. And this is a message that those kind of companies would, uh, well, to be honest, they'll probably ignore it anyways. But at least when they do get in trouble, they're going to have the precedent and the SEC can say, we nailed Theranos and you're a mini Theranos. What did you think was going to happen? I could see that coming down the road, too. But Kevin LaCour is right. The SEC can take action in a private company as well. It's more about, do you have investors? Are you soliciting them? Are you offering securities to them? Then the SEC gets to have a say in what's going on. So, yeah. So, Matt, the other sort of deeper philosophical question that I've been struggling with, and I know you've written a lot about uh, how companies raise money, uh, whether they should go public. Uh, the entire process is now really under debate around the Dodd-Frank Act and access to capital. But if you have a company that it's based upon an idea that may even start off as a hope, but it moves to something that becomes a little more tangible. And uh, when you get to the point where you think you can succeed, you need to raise more money to make that final leap to where you have succeeded. Uh, I really wonder about what sort of message does this enforcement action send to those people who have what you and I might think is an off-the-wall idea. They get that idea to prototype, and they didn't want to take it forward. Have Does this case in any way inhibit those true visionaries uh, from going forward or the facts in this case so unique and so specific to, and so, frankly so egregious to Theranos that uh, my worry is is just misplaced. Well, you know, pardon my language, but I think there's a big difference between a visionary and a bullshit artist, and that's probably what we had here. Um, yeah, I was reading up on some of the disciplinary actions Theranos has uh, received in the past, which it has. And for example, in 2014, Theranos was telling would-be investors number one that it was working with U.S. military contracts and its blood testing equipment was being used in Afghanistan. And number two, the company had $100 million in revenues. So it did not have any contracts with the military. And in 2014, it had $100,000 in revenue, not $100 million. That's not visionary. That's bullshit. Um, so I think that, you know, really, there are some very fact-specific issues around Theranos and the sheer gall that they had to put this forward as an idea when there was no technology, there were no contracts, there was no revenue. Um, this is not some salesman who's trying to tell you that uh, the car looks a little bit beat up, but trust me, it's going to run really well. This is somebody who's saying you've got a Ferrari and there's no engine in the car. Um, so I, th that's my takeaway here when I look at the Ramos. This was just a, an appalling operational fraud um you know just how did they ever think it would end up any different than where we are now matt i've also heard you express a sentiment that you often express which was that you see this also through the lens of a corporate governance failure i.e where was the board yeah uh, how do we yep. get boards to wake up and start asking questions even after uh, there's been either negative press or, or an enforcement action. 
You know, this is something where I do have a beef with some of the board directors who were on the job, allegedly, while Theranos was running these scams, because uh, some of those board directors included Henry Kissinger, uh, George Shultz, Secretary of State in in the Reagan administration, um, James Mattis, the defense secretary right now, who did step down from the board as soon as he was nominated, I think, to become defense secretary. Um, what do any of these guys have any business being on the board of a biotech company, which is really what Theranos was purporting to be? Never mind that, you know, look, if I am, uh, for better or worse, a renowned and well-known figure like Henry Kissinger, who's also over the age of 90, I'm going to have better things to do at my time than to serve on a startup board of a company I don't even know and an industry I don't know. Um, so I do think that some of this was the board clearly thought this was just going to be some sort of little sinecure where they can get an annuity for hanging out and they meet once a quarter to get their you know, spend some time with a very pretty young woman who bats her eyes, numbers look good, PowerPoint's all nice, fine. Um, and that led us to where we are. I think that boards need to really have a stronger structure around their CEO to be able to govern them. And I think of it a lot in the Me Too context. Uh, if there's an allegation raised against the CEO, there should be a structure that forces everybody, board and CEO and outside counsel or compliance officer, whoever, that forces an investigation to happen with a forced degree of independence so that you can't have what we've seen so often is that an allegation is made against the CEO and an internal investigation answers into the CEO who miraculously decides the CEO is not the problem. Um, and, you know, and we need to move away from that. So you really do need to think about what are the structures you want in place to, to be able to discover and take action for allegations, fraud or misconduct or whatever, but you know, you need to bake it in so that the board has no choice. This is the system. These are the institutions. They've been activated. We're going to lead to this process to investigate. Um, and I bet all of what I just said was two miles above the heads of these you know, asleep at the switch old men who were on the board of Theranos. One other thing that you've also talked about, uh, I think, uh, quite a bit, is the uh, pre-taliation and other uh, means and methods by which corporations either actively discourage or retaliate against employees who blow the whistle. Uh, Theranos was almost paranoid in there, and it turns out there was, with good reason, uh, for having mm -hmm. employees uh, disclose information, was very aggressive in going after uh, people who tried to blow the whistle on them. Uh, is there any lesson to be learned uh, in, from that angle? I mean, you could say that where there's smoke, there's fire. And I think that is true. I think that if a uh, company is um, comfortable with uh, its processes and believes that it has a good product and good operations, and it's not going to be scared of somebody standing up to say, I don't think this works. Um, I would imagine, you know, I can see at one point, I think Forbes magazine did a cover story on Elizabeth Holmes where they called her the next Steve Jobs. And I'm willing to bet that if somebody raised a concern about Steve Jobs and Apple when he was back in his prime, he would not seek to quash that and cover it up. He would seek to have that allegation put right on the front table and then tear it apart and prove to everybody why they're all idiots and he's the genius and trust him. But you know what? Steve Jobs had the tech 
to be able to back up every claim that he made. And that's why he was Steve Jobs. And Apple is one of the most valuable companies in the world. Um, so I just, I still think that you know, ultimately pretaliation is about demonstrating the company is fearful of truth, fearful of frank discussion. And why would you be fearful? And clearly Theranos had a lot to be fearful of. They knew that there wasn't anything there. Well, Matt, I found this case just to be uh, fascinating on, on many, many different levels, uh, from the corporate governance uh, through the policies and procedures. And and the, really the question I suppose I wanted to end with is, and we've debated this, I think, at some point uh, over the past few months, at what point is it appropriate for a startup to really grow up and put in policies and procedures? Uh, that the things that we see in U.S. public companies that are designed to protect shareholders. Uh, do you think we can get any guidance from Theranos on that score? Well, I think that compliance officers and boards should be always thinking about what are we likely to encounter first as a risk? And let's start with that. Um, certainly, if you are in a very data-intensive world, if you're a social media startup, for example, you want to think about data privacy risks pretty much from the get-go, which would not have been the case 20 years ago. And if you're a large manufacturing concern, you wouldn't probably think about that as much either. Um, it's going to vary from case to case, but clearly companies think about it. They hit these risks more quickly, um, so they need to think about that. And you know, fundamentally, if this is executive level misconduct, if this is a superstar CEO run amok, that the board should be thinking about before you hire employee number two. Um, because as soon as there's more than one person, the CEO can start running a smokescreen and start doing whatever. Um, so you really need to start baking into, like I said, the, the board's charters, the policies and procedures for investigations and whatnot. You need to think about that right away. And even for startups, like a lot of tech startups, they're backed by venture capitalists. Venture capitalists are going to think about that because the one thing that they do not want to do is lose their money through some bogus, ridiculous thing. They, they get it that nine out of 10 times they're going to invest in what they think is a smart idea and it's a dead end. And they're okay with that, but they are not going to want to invest their money and see that it gets uh, fleeced and embezzled and go up in smoke. They do look out for that kind of stuff. They hold their executive teams liable. Um, so I, I'm most concerned for that class of companies that might be entering into SEC oversight, kind of, sort of, since the Jobs Act, the Regulation A-plus companies, the crowdfunding companies, there's still a lot of um, investors being solicited. There's not a whole lot of formality around exactly what are we supposed to disclose? What does a good company practice look like if you're like that? Um, and that's where I wonder if we might see more trouble down the line, or will we see trouble such a great degree that the SEC will intervene more often in companies like that. Theranos is just a gigantic example of it. I mean, physically, you know, they raised a ton of money and it's a, the fraud was enormous. But smaller companies with a smaller amount of money, smaller investor pool, but still essentially bilking investors, are they also going to run their, run into SEC scrutiny if they're still private? We, we don't know. We'll have to see. Well, Matt, this has been a fascinating exploration of uh, Theranos, the Elizabeth Holmes, and the SEC complaint that uh, was filed last week. I really enjoyed the 
getting into the philosophical underpinnings and some of the more tangible points for the compliance practitioner. So uh, thanks, and we will continue the discussion. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. If you have listened to this podcast on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it if you would rate our podcast, as it would help in our ratings and help get the word out about this most unique compliance-related podcast that literally takes a deep dive into the weeds each week. Also, if you have any questions, you can email Matt at nkelly at radicalcompliance.com. You can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. This is Tom Fox. Thank you again for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds, and I hope you'll join Matt and I next week where we take a deep dive into the compliance weeds of a specific topic. Compliance Into the Weeds is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.